The following content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Marina and I am the host of Always Another Way podcast. I have a master's in professional counseling and I'm the Ippy award-winning author of Stop Looking for a Husband, Find the Love of Your Life and Nasty Divorce, A Kid's Eye View. I've written positive divorce advice for the HuffPost and I'm trained in clinical hypnosis. And this podcast is for out-of-the-box thinkers and it's for those who hear the call of hope and Always Another Way. And if you're very rigid and set in your views, this is probably not your cup of tea, especially this show. However, you should note, taste can, and do change. And today, oh, well, first I want to say just thank you to everybody who has listened to this podcast and shared the podcast. We're on episode 103, and these are game-changing topics with game changers and out-of-the-box thinkers. And the more you subscribe and rate, the more we move up. In the ranks. And um, I'll just tell you something that I noticed. So of my um, 103 episodes, um, there was one um, maybe, mm, I don't know, 15 episodes back where I talked about racism. And I have maybe, I only started putting my podcast on YouTube maybe last year. So there's maybe 50 or so on YouTube. And to be honest, rarely does anybody comment on my YouTube podcast. They just they just don't. They either listen other well, you know, other places, or they're listening and they're not commenting. But I did a podcast on racism, and lo and behold, the comments came out. And what were the comments were is this is an anti-white podcast, which um, if you listen to the podcast, uh, it's an anti-white racist podcast, but not anti anything but racist. And, um, and so those were all the comments on that. And so today we are going to talk about white privilege and racism. And a few things that I want to say, and a lot of this I'm going to read just from people who've done, you know, more research and have the full statistics here. But um, the first thing that comes up for a lot of white people when you say white privilege is this huge defensiveness. And I've seen it live with people. And um, this is from um, Teaching Tolerance. And um, I want to read this. So white privilege is, perhaps most notably in this area of uncivil discourse, is a concept that has fallen victim to its own connotations. The two-word term packs a double whammy that inspires pushback. The word white creates discomfort among those who are not used to being def defined or described by their race. And two, the word privilege, especially for poor and rural white people, sounds like a word that doesn't belong to them, like a word that suggests they've never struggled. So this defensiveness derails the conversation, which means, unfortunately, that defining white privilege must also begin with defining by what it's not. So this is for those of you who say, well, there can't be such a thing because I was poor or I've struggled or I haven't benefited from some things. And that's maybe like a of white privileges, but it's not it. So, um, and then as she says here, otherwise only the choir listens. The people who you really want to reach to check, uh, the people who you really want to reach, check out. White privilege is not the suggestion that white people have never struggled. Many white people do not enjoy privileges that come with relative affluences, such as food security, and many do not experience the privileges that come with access, such as nearby hospitals. And white privilege is not the assumption that everything a white person has accomplished is unearned. Most white people who have reached a high level of success have worked extremely hard to get there. Instead, white privilege should be viewed as a built-in advantage separate from one's level of income or effort. So now, this is what white privilege entails. It's the power of normal, which goes beyond CVS. White people are more likely to see positive portrayals of people who look like them on the news, TV shows, and in movies. And that being said, just side weight, and you can know via your personal experience, just go back 20 years, and even today, look at the representation. And if you're white, you're probably not noticing it because you are well represented. But look at how they're representing black people, especially 20 years ago. 
And if you don't think that if you see every black man as a criminal for 20 years in every single thing that you watch, that that is not going to affect you mentally, you're absolutely wrong. So um, it says, um, white people are more likely to be treated as individuals rather than representatives or exceptions to a stereotyped racial identity. In other words, they're more often humanized and granted the benefit of the doubt. They're more likely to receive compassion, to be granted individual potential, and to survive mistakes. This has negative effects for people of color who, without this privilege, face the consequences of racial profiling, stereotypes, and lack of compassion for their struggles. In these scenarios, white privilege includes the facts that white people are less likely to be followed, interrogated, or searched by law enforcement because they look suspicious. White people's skin tone will not be a reason people hesitate to trust their credit or financial responsibility. And if white people are accused of a crime, they're less likely to be presumed guilty, less likely to be sentenced to death, and more likely to be portrayed in a fair, nuanced manner by media outlets. The personal faults or missteps of white people will not likely be used later to deny opportunities or compassion to people who share their racial identity. White privilege also has to do with the fact that I can just go places and not be seen as anything threatening at all. I see myself in Barbie dolls, baby dolls as kids, ads, everything else. I see me. And I know for the things that I've done, I've been pulled over by police many times. I don't freak. I don't think I need to call somebody. I don't think I need to have anything gone on. I can say, oh my God, officer, I have to go to the bathroom so bad. I really got to pee. Will you let me go? And I've gotten off like that. I'd have never had any conversations with my son who's 16 that black women have and black men have with their children about what to do if they're faced by police other than be respectful. I don't have any of those conversations. So let's go back to systemic racism. So that's who controls the wealth. And according to one study, white families hold 90% of the national wealth, Latino families hold 2.3% and black families hold 2.6%. Not only that, the Great Recession hit minority families particularly hard, and the wealth gap has increased. Think about this. For every $100 white families earn in income, black families earn just $57.30. And that is a huge racial justice issue. And this is, um, forget where I got this from, but it's a, race, a site on systemic racism. It's also next to impossible to build wealth without steady and rewarding employment. Black unemployment rate has been consistently twice that for whites. Over the past 60 years, no matter what has been going on in the economy, whether it's been up or down, um, and then people might say, hmm, maybe higher education would help with that. Well, according to the data, blacks with college degrees are twice as likely to be unemployed as all other graduates. And that's because, as one study found, job applicants with white-sounding names get called back 50% more of the time than applicants with black-sounding names, even when they have identical resumes. Given this, perhaps it should not come as a surprise that even though, as we said, blacks make up 13% of the population, they represent 40% of the prison population. Um, and somebody might say, and they're, you know, maybe if um, black a person and a white person each commit a crime, the black person has a better chance of being arrested. And it's also true that once arrested, black people are convicted more often than white people. There's also a new study out that shows that right now, um, where did I just see that at? We're going to go back one more time. Um, Suzanne, this article that um, police shootings are the leading cause of death for young American black men, new research suggests. Um, so uh, then also in systemic racism, um, black Americans are far more likely than whites to lack access to emergency medical care. You can see in the COVID that black people are dying at higher rates. Black women have higher rates of birth death just all along. And all that being said, I am going to bring on my guest who is going to talk about her personal experience because as a white person, you can never, ever know what it's like to be in a minority. And you might say, well, I went one time to a place where I was the only white person and there was a bunch of black people. That is like one instance of your life and not your whole entire life systemically from no matter where you came from, but what you see, what's accessible to you to band-aids that aren't the same color as your skin. But I have a badass lady here, my friend Jess Garland. <laughs> 
who is a Dallas-based singer-songwriter, recording, and performance artist. She's a multi-instrumentalist using a combination of harp and guitar loops, evoking elements of ambient folk and celestial tones. Jess most recently opened for Madame Gandhi at Babes Fest 2019 in Austin. Jess co-produced the film and composed music for Their Lives Mattered, a dialogue honoring stolen lives by Dallas law enforcement on September 5th at the Texas Theater, and the project was funded by the City of Dallas's Office of Cultural Affairs. Jess most recently received a grant from the Nasher Sculpture Center to record her single, Live Again, and create a music video on Fair Park Grounds. Jess performed in Austin for the New Media Art and Sound Summit, sponsored by the Church of the Friendly Ghost. Jess has received a grant from the City of Dallas's Office of Cultural Affairs for her performances in Take Me Over in April 2019 for Dallas Arts Month at South Dallas Cultural Center. Jess received a grant for Aurora's 2018 Future Worlds theme for her performance Resurrecting Gaia in October at the Kettle Art Gallery. And Resurrecting Gaia was featured in New York's Vulture Magazine and also listed as a top pick of events to see by KERA's Art and Seek and D Magazine. I mean, I'm going to keep going because you're so awesome. <laughs> Jess opened for the Academy member um, Ginger Shankar for the Fortresses Fest Present Modern Music Series at the Modern Museum of Fort Worth. She's composed music for Art Pina's play, Nameless Endless, where she also performed at the Reading Room Gallery. Jess is a harpist with the Sunshine Village Band. She's an educator and a non and a nonprofit free music education program. Her nonprofit free music education program, Swan Strings, which has recently been featured in Advocate Magazine and D Magazine. And welcome to the show, Jess. Thank you for having me back. Y'all, you're so welcome. <laughs> oh, yeah, she was on episode 80, where you can hear all about her badassness of, <laughs> of, of how she's become her and her awesome self, uh, musically and otherwise. But now we're going to talk about the point that I can't talk about. Now, you were so nice that I reached out to you. Um, and not that it's... You know, for you, it's it's every week. There is some video of something going on. And just, you know, two things this week. The uh, white lady who on video is freaking out uh, that this black man bird watching is after her and terrorizing her when he's doing nothing, mm -hmm. as the video shows. Um, and then knowing that black men are now, like, more likely to be killed by police, like, that is the number one way they're going to die if something would have happened, you know, she could have just got that man murdered. Oh, yeah. You know, from her bullshit call. Mm -hmm. And then another man who was murdered by a policeman while other policemen watched, mm -hmm. also on video. Mm -hmm. And then, so that's why we're also talking about it today, because it's a never-ending scenario. Um, that is correct. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, why don't you just tell us, like, what, you know, maybe just from, like, the time you were younger, because we kind of talked about this, like, um, you know, because you can see kids and little teeny kids mm -hmm. will play with anybody mm -hmm. if you're cool, you know. Right. Or you got something you want, and then something happens. <laughs> and then what happens, and then how you view life differently than your growing up experiences are way different than mine. <laughs> Yeah. So um, it's just kind of surprising to have the conversation a little bit that these are things that happen daily. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just something that people don't really see and or understand. Um, but um, I've always grown up in a white neighborhood but didn't really know it was a white neighborhood, to be honest, because my parents didn't really talk about race until it was necessary to have that conversation. So I grew up in partially in North Dallas, and then we moved to Northeast Dallas, uh, where my mom still lives over by White Rock Lake. So we were the only black family in the neighborhood for a very long time, and still it's um, very few black people that live in that neighborhood. And um, I didn't really know racial um, terms until um, maybe about seven or so when we moved to that neighborhood because the previous neighborhood we lived in was primarily adult, so I didn't really play with a lot of kids, so I didn't really hear things like that. Um, also, even though I lived in our Dallas, I went to school in southern Dallas because that's where my dad, um, where he had his own business, so... There were just a lot of things that I was not exposed to until um, a couple incidences happened. Yeah. <laughs> one was there were some cousins visiting and there was one family to this day, even still where um, the parents is just kind of like, those are not the neighbors that we really wave it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they had some sons and um, they obviously learned some things from their parents. And they, once they found out black people lived in a the neighborhood, they came over and, 
um, one like threw a rock in the window. The, my window was open. And you're, so a, you're a little kid. Oh too. yeah, I'm a kid. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, like I said, I think I was about seven or eight. Can't really remember the age, but very young. My sister wasn't here yet, so that's how I can kind of gauge how old I was. But mm -hmm. some cousins were visiting, and um, some uh, some neighbors came by, some kids to just kind of basically harass us. And I told my cousins what happened, and they kind of chased them down the road. And um, can't remember exactly what the words were verbatim, but to be honest, it was the first time I heard nigger, <laughs> and it's the first time I heard the word honky. And did not even know what they were talking about, but just remember feeling this rage. And I remember bringing it up to my parents about what took place. And I would, to this day, will never forget what um, their faces looked like at each other when they knew that they had to finally have that conversation. Yeah. About how, you know, there are some people in this world that are not going to like you based off of the color of your skin. I know. And for a little kid that's mm -hmm. like seven years old, yeah. like, oh, <laughs> I mean, like... Yeah, yeah, that just, sucks. Yeah, yeah, I just really didn't know, and and I will I'll never forget that day. And ever since that day, it my life changed, and I definitely you know the lens had been removed and started to see things very differently. Huh. Um, I remember having um, you know a lot of my friends, childhood friends, growing up were white, especially in the neighborhood, not just the school that I went to. And there were definitely some that were just like very you know eager about learning about culture, but just also kind of like in a weird way yeah. you know what I mean it's just like instead of just kind of learning wanting to try to mimic or be the same thing versus like some of their older siblings knew that that was just something that was just you know kind of weird you know but it was but but kids take things from what their parents are saying and uh doing in their household and right. I remember having like another childhood friend that maybe said like we were hanging out and I think he tried to make like some type of joke or something something about like I think it was something like, you know, what do you call a black man in a white tank top? And it was like a panda or something like that. And yeah. it was just weird how even like we how he started saying it. And I didn't even really get a chance to get him to get it all the way out before. I'm just like, what is happening here? What's going on? And he said it on the same day we had like a barbecue cookout. And I just started riding down the streets with my cousins. Like, what you say? You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> so ever since, like, I, I, there was a lot of things like in that neighborhood where things really changed for me and started seeing things um very very differently um but my parents they you know they were trying to be progressive uh -huh. and um i guess that they thought that maybe they didn't have to i think every generation wants to believe that they that their children are not going to have to deal with these things um but you know obviously that that's something that we can't escape and um that's that's with anything with with children you know like sometimes you want to try to protect your child from a lot of things but if you don't teach them somebody else will you right know? yeah so yeah <laughs> that's just that's definitely one of my first instances with racism and then also I can't remember how old I was when this happened but it was probably around about the same age um my mom and I were on a highway and some a truck of skinheads tried to run us off the road and at that time of course I didn't really know what skinheads were yeah. um but i remember what they looked like in the yeah. car they were in a pickup truck they all you know were bald yeah <laughs> <laughs> they all were like Skinny <laughs> <looking>. <laughs> yeah, exactly they all were covered in tattoos and i remember one of them probably had like fuck you on the middle finger yeah. and like some swat sticker tattoos but again i'm a kid not really yeah knowing but i mean but i remember the images i remember what it was and they literally were trying to run us off the road and my mom um being an excellent driver that's super she, scary it, it was super you know, you're scary a little kid. <laughs> super scary and it's weird even having this conversation with you now and i don't have this conversation that often with people but i've kind of posted about it a couple of times and it's it's sad that it's a it's a normal thing it should not be normalized but it is these are things that i'm used to like as a child some white men tried to run my mother and i off the road for <laughs> nothing but being for, black for nothing but being black yeah. you know i do think we were probably targeted because and this is just and i say this because you know um um there are other stories where we're probably targeted based off of the kind of car they were in you know like yeah. it's you know it's bigger than race it's about you know class yeah and so i think that there i think that there was some young white men who were in this beat up pickup truck who saw a black woman with her child in a nicer car oh yeah let's go fuck with him yeah which <laughs> is all fucked up and all, all that all for a second up, you know like, because is... there's no way they would have done that if it was my if my dad was in the car yeah so just uh 
just how cowardly that is, you know, and insecure that that is, you know, racism and classism, that's about just insecurity. Insecurity, you know? fear, and ignorance. Exactly, you know, and they, I, they they tried to run us off the road, and my mom, she tried to, you know, with the, being an excellent driver that she is and was in a very, um, you know, kind of sports car, was was. Uh, for the most part, trying to get away from them. She tried to get them. Yeah, she she tried, you know, but, you know, again, we're on the highway, and so they found a way to kind of catch back up to us, and it literally took my mom telling me to get back and get down, and she, I was obviously on the passenger side. I was not in the back seat where she pulled out a gun directly in my face towards, they were, like, trying to ram us on my side. Oh, geez. Like, on the child's side, like, passenger yeah. side. I mean, that is scary as <laughs> shit for a kid, mm -hmm. like, super, and for an adult, too, but, mm -hmm. like, also for a kid. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it, if it wasn't for my mom pulling out her gun, like, who knows what would have happened? You know, people don't understand that there are real attacks on our lives. Yeah. And um, if, if she had not had a gun, you know, and I know there's a lot of people that are, you know, anti, you know, gun law and things like that. But to be honest, you know, if she had not had that gun that day, who knows what would have happened to us. Right. That and was the only reason why they went away. Yeah. <laughs> they and didn't then, expect that to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, super like, and that's like, you know, and we'll talk about like how that just like how this is like coloring your life as a kid mm -hmm. growing up and you see white people go at you and at you mm -hmm. and at you. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. definitely, like I said, just like from... For the, no reason for other no than reason, being black. <laughs> for no reason, you uh -huh. know? And, and I don't even know if at that time I really knew what that was about. I mean, later on I knew, you know, but it didn't take that much, you yeah. know? Like, I'm still kind of being introduced to what this really is and what this what this means, you know? Um, but yeah, talk about childhood trauma. <laughs> that's, that's definitely one of them. And... Um, to the point where my mom uh, recently, this is about a year ago, and this is after a Trump rally, she was going home in her neighborhood, like just leaving the grocery store, and she lives near White Rock Lake, and again, in a new sports car, some guy in a Jeep thinks he can try to run her off the road, you know, like he literally zoomed past her and yelled out the car, uh, yelled out of his car, get off the road, nigger, is what he told my mom. Jesus. Sped up and went down the street that he knew she was going to turn down and uh -huh. pulled over so that when she turned the street, he got out and was coming towards her with a crowbar that's scary oh yeah 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 and that's never happened to me mm -hmm. like never never mm -hmm. never 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 not to any mm -hmm. white people that i know my mom you know called the police you know um she tried to take a picture in that moment mm -hmm. um of course it was a little bit blurry because you're scared because <laughs> you're scared because somebody's you know? got a crowbar coming at you exactly <laughs> um but she was able to get an image to where i would like to think with the technology that they have that they would have been able to determine who this person was or at least to try to start some type of an investigation of course they didn't do anything and to be honest we all to kind of took it upon ourselves my mom asked me not to but it's my mom so i did it anyway yeah. i'm riding down the neighborhood and i'm riding down streets to see if i can find a black like Jeep, right? <laughs> to see, you know, who is this person? You know, where does he live? We were trying to figure out how close. And I mean, because that's a complete crime. You cannot go harass people mm -hmm. and then go at him with a crowbar. And like, this is her mm -hmm. neighborhood, so we're trying to figure out like who is this in the neighborhood, right? That is doing this. You know, there's so many stories that I can have about that I can tell about living near white rock like living in a mostly or all white neighborhood um there's so many stories i can tell about that but we took it upon ourselves or i can say i took it upon myself which is something i'm sure you know that the police would not recommend but you know people are tired of the police not you know taking those extra measures to uh protect brown people right so i took it upon myself to drive down a neighborhood just to see what i can personally find out myself like you know which what street does this person live on you know to, to try to be and you shouldn't even have to live cautiously in your own neighborhood you right. know she was leaving the grocery store driving down garland road you know near mining the operator turning down <laughs> lakeland minding her own business you yeah. know and was targeted you know and he was this person was Maybe in his 40s, he was not an older, you know, gentleman, you know, yeah. in the neighborhood. You know, he was kind of like a middle-aged white man, you yeah. know what I mean? Who is taking on the beliefs of older generations, you know? And that's always just sad to see that people think that it's, you know, the older white people has got to die for this not to happen anymore. And that's, yeah. that's not true. Like, when I went to SMU, um, there are so many uneducated white people. Oh. <laughs> They go to Southern Methodist <laughs> University, <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. which I have a love-hate relationship with. I think I was talking to you about this um, yesterday where, um, 
you know, being an American or a black American, you know, I, you know, I'm, I am American by all means, but it, there's just a love hate relationship between being an American and, um, um, working in this capitalist society. And, uh, I have that same feeling about going to Southern Methodist university, going to SMU, like it's a love hate relationship on one hand. It's like, Oh, I have this great opportunity to, you know, attend the Harvard and Yale of Dallas and um i'm getting all this like great education but the most education i received was the experiences that i lived through smu yeah where i realized i was attending smu when hurricane katrina happened so a lot of things came up and i was i'm a poli sci major as well so we definitely had a lot of conversations about race but we're having conversations about race and i'm the only black person in class oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a awkward yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know there may have been another person of color um but i'm talking about like definitely being as a poli sci major most of the time was the only black person in class and yeah. that's probably most black people's experience at smu depending on what your major was right like, it's you're just definitely the much of rich white class. people is yes you know yeah. and i'll never forget i had a student whose last name uh is on one of the buildings at smu who believed that he was disenfranchised as a straight white male um in class you know like it, it was just i was just like uh -huh. stunned that's and, a whole other delusion <laughs> with like the disenfranchised <laughs> yes rich like, white guy as he burnt off in his corvette every day you know what i mean and it's just like what you know like i'm your name's I'm, on a building right <laughs> 40 four presidents yeah. or white men yeah i'm like i didn't um I, I did i did not play sports you know what i mean and so i'm not here for that reason you know and and it's okay if i and was. to just assume that only black people can mm -hmm. play sports and are not otherwise exactly. intelligent yeah. exactly i'm like i'm here just based off my grades <laughs> transfer from community college yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, um, but that was, you know, I, I, I'll never forget that incident in, in, in that class because there was even people, classmates who I thought were my friends that had things to say, like, um, because, you know, they, the question came up about like people looting, you know, yeah. because that's a lot of what the media shows, because of course the media wants to show right. black people stealing things, you yeah, know, right. we don't want to really talk about what got to that point. You know, we only want to show them doing bad things as this only, if, as if this justifies was happening to them and right. i had classmate classmates say things like well you know black people just look different and i'm like well what does that have to do <laughs> with anything you know <laughs> yeah what does that have to do <laughs> when with you this? see them looting you know mm -hmm. and i'm just like oh my gosh like we're talking about new orleans like there is uh -huh. a, a, a a natural disaster that has taken place and you right? know uh people need food and water and <laughs> yeah it's not like somebody's just like they're walking down the street right. and looting it's yeah. not like and you know what if they wear who gives a <clears throat> damn <laughs> to be quite honest you know what i mean like why is that your focus you know um and not like the uh lack of help coming in to save those exactly. people. Exactly. The government's the not going to yeah. help us and mm -hmm. save us. So yeah, you know, like they, they, people took, took things into their own hands, you know, and when you're dealing with a disaster like that, you know, you can't ever know what it's like to be in that position, Exactly. you know, unless you're in that position, just like people coming across for mm -hmm. things that people don't like refugees or other things coming, mm -hmm. you can't know. Mm hmm until you are faced with that kind of decision, what you will do. Yeah, I, I, my, my professor was actually my counselor and a lot of people on campus actually didn't like him because he was, um, if I can remember correctly, he's, he was Canadian, but definitely a well-known conservative mm -hmm. uh, person. And a lot of people knew that about him. And I wanna say that he helped orchestrate like a bake sale at SMU, which caused a lot of controversy, but he, pulled me into his office we were talking about my grades and he closed the door and he told me he was like he apologized for the classroom getting out of hand he tried to kind of wow. get it back into control uh -huh. and he told me that these students you know are the type of white people who would say they're not racist but they actually are he was like listen to what they're to what they're saying and i thanked him for saying it and i cried and i told him that you know i I, I felt so much rage, you know, that day. I literally like was thinking as I was sitting there in the classroom, trying to speak up and trying to say things. But of course I'm the only one in the room. Like I literally had like a Spike Lee moment in my whole mind. I was like, what if I just get up and just like throw my desk like radio right now? <laughs> <laughs> what if I just do that? 
And but I appreciate that crazy black lady threw her chair. Exactly. And she said that black woman is yelling. Right. Uh Exactly. You know, and 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 having to think about those things too. Yeah, black women are not well. Women can't show rage, and especially not black women. Especially not black women. It's it's really hard to speak up about anything. Like no one wants to listen to what you have to say ever mm-hmm. it's very difficult to speak up um i can't even there there's so many things that come up about just the tonality of my voice which is just so weird you know like you can have a white woman that is from the east coast who is very um assertive and straightforward um they may have some type of a similar tonality but no one's going to say anything to her because she's a white woman and don't let her be a white woman in a particular position yeah you know versus someone like me they want to question the way that i'm speaking which is just crazy and you know why too (laughs) and i know know why yeah Uh i know why i definitely have um gotten into some situations at work before um in things of tonality about my voice and it comes up you know every time and um, and every time that you're not in agreement, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> when you're agreeing, you're cool. Right. But if you're in anything and who's going to agree to everything in life? Right. You know? Right. Huh? Um, so anytime I ever speak up about anything, it's, there's always, um, questioning, um, credibility, you know, wanting to, I don't know, just not really wanting to just really just questioning what I have to say, you know, yeah. all the time. Like, just literally, it goes in one ear. Like, you need to bring the proof. And out the other. Just, de- yeah, definitely bring out the proof, mm-hmm. you know. And it, and it happens in, that, those are things that happen in corporate America daily. Like, anytime I bring up any type of ideas about anything and organizations, you know, say that they want, you know, more black people on their boards or more black employees, um, or even want to reach out to the black and brown communities. But when you have someone that does that, it's just, it's the same thing. They want to question your approach to that, you know, instead of listening to what that person actually has to say, well, you don't know because you're not black, right? <laughs> you're not brown. You haven't dealt with, with any of these things you can have. And I'm not saying your ideas are not valid, but don't bring a black person into this specific role and you're not listening to what that person has to say from um, their life experience, from their life experiences, yeah. you know, and by the way, you never even asked me what my experiences are. You know, most people that I work with probably only know about a couple of the stories that I just tell you now because we're Facebook friends. I'm like, oh, you want to be Facebook friends? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Look at what I have to say. Right. <laughs> and and then <laughs> I think that is the more knowing of things like, cause when we can know people more, mm-hmm. you know, and then the, not that that's going to stop it, but just yeah. to know like more of like what's, you know, what, what your real experiences are on the day to day. Like, cause you know, if you're really trying to help people, mm-hmm. I can't say like, I'm trying to help people that have had like, whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, say eating disorder. If I've never had one, I don't know. Right. <laughs> cause it's not me. You don't know unless you've experienced it. Right. And you know, and, um, People are, I mean, the good thing about technology and social media these days is that we do have cameras for people to see things. Um, But even with that, people still decide to pretend like it's not happening or be blinded, just to pretend, just want to be blind or act like these issues are not existing because it's not happening to them. Um, People only really know how to react or respond to something unless it's actually happening to them or if they've seen it with their own eyes. Um, but there's all these like implicit biases that are, that are going on as well too, to where people think that they're not racist, but they really are. Like, well, how many times have you hired a black person? Right. Or that thing you were just talking about with the towel, like what that, like those little mini racist yeah. things are. Mm-hmm. Um, which, if you want to say like what that yeah. Is, so yeah. I um I love to watch this show called Insecure on HBO that is created by um, Issa Rae, who was a black woman, and um, last week's episode um, showed an example of um, a black woman on vacation in Mexico, and they didn't want to give her a towel. She was at the pool, and they wanted to, her to prove that she actually was staying at the hotel to give her a towel. But if a white woman came up, she just easily handed out those towels. Yeah. You know, so it's just it's little things like that. It's like why would you like like, why would you question it? And those things have happened to me. Like, I've worked at this um, school for years, and um, uh, it was interesting because, you know, I've been natural, my hair, uh, not uh, chemically straightening my hair for more than 10 years. But even when I was uh, natural, I would flat iron my hair a lot. And so I was teaching at this school that was off of Mockingbird and um, was there every day teaching guitar. 
And uh, one day I was just like, you know what? I'm tired of burning up my hair. I'm going to just start wearing my natural curls. And I walked in and they were stopping me and wanted me to show my ID. And I, I felt really insecure in that moment. I thought my like hair was like. they couldn't recognize your face? <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought my hair was, you know, the wind was blowing hard that day. I was like, is my fro looking crazy? You know, what is going on? And I immediately went to the restroom thinking like I was yeah, looking on. crazy or something, you know. And I was just like. Girl, you are beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And But it was crazy that they didn't even recognize me. And I think it's Paul Mooney, black comedian, that has this joke about when uh, black people's hair is relaxed, white people are relaxed. And that is a real thing. Uh -huh. That is a real thing. It's almost like when your hair is straight, you blend in and they don't really see you. You Because know? you're looking more white. Yeah, uh -huh. for sure. For yeah. sure. Any any type of like more European standards of, standards of beauty that you are representing, it's almost like you blend and they can't see you, which I believe was what happened to me at SMU. Yeah. So it, there were times where I was like sitting in class, I'm like, do y'all not see me? <laughs> I am here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I I think that I blended in, but there are some people that saw me but don't care, you know. But um, but those those things definitely happened to me, and there are times when you know, again, it was the same school, and um, um, it was a church, and so people walked into the into um, um, the facility frequently. And um, I've seen old white couples like grab their hands, like, you know, grab each other very quickly. And She's going like, to come steal your purse. Exactly. You know, or people questioning what was like in my guitar bag. I'm like, it's a guitar. What you think of coming here with a rifle? Like, what, yeah. <laughs> what do you think this is? But meanwhile, homeboy can come in with a freaking AK yeah. and a Chipotle. Yeah, exactly. Nothing. <laughs> exactly. And so, and I just, I remember feeling those things. And as a woman, it's really hard because speaking of terms of statistics with black men, like I'm, I was used to seeing that towards black men but when it started happening to me as a black woman that you see me as a threat like i'm going to kill you like it's, it's just like you don't even know me you don't even know me <laughs> and, and, it, and it doesn't matter what car you drive it uh -huh. doesn't matter what you're wearing um like i said i'm i clearly have a guitar bag yeah. on my, i'm here every day teaching your children yeah. <laughs> or your grandchildren well, but because you're just literally looking at the color of my skin, you see danger. And you're scared, yeah. You're scared, and it's just Because you've been sad. watching TV, which been... is just showing you all that. Right. Grandpa's been talking about the all the stuff, the things that he calls people. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's just it's just really, um, it's really just, it's just sad. I've definitely been in those. But it, but again, that's, that's, nor that's, those are daily occurrences, you know, walking into certain department stores that people don't think that that's, you know, where you belong, you know, like, I, it's just, there's all types of things. Okay, let's talk, let's, then this, like, segues into the other thing I was talking about, about, like, um, the, um, when people say, like, black people don't like white people. Well, here's probably why, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, not that, but you know what mm -hmm. I mean, like, um, so even just thinking, like, so for my level, I had, like, abusive men since I was very young, so I'm really skeptical of men. Just like in general, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like you're going to get, I'm going to be skeptical of you based on my experiences mm -hmm. and people can see that. Mm -hmm. But if your experience, since you are seven years old from white people mm -hmm. that are thinking, and then for people to even think like what that does to somebody mentally, mm -hmm. if since you're young, you're being, you know, and you can feel vibes too. They mm -hmm. might not even have to say anything, say, but yeah. somebody just like goes like this mm -hmm. when you come in. Yeah. What's that make you feel? Like, like right. and I don't get people like people aren't scared of me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And if over and over again, if you are getting this mm -hmm. from, you know, if you would put yourself in the perspective of somebody who is just like over and over again from white people feeling like made to feel like you're a threat, you're dangerous, you're bad, you're wrong, you're not this. I mean, there's got to be some deep internal rage because I know I've struggled with like deep internal rage based on p abuse mm -hmm. of power to people where I want to. I want mm -hmm. to take somebody out. Yeah. You know? No, no, the rage is the rage is real. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how could it not be? You right. know what I mean? And it's and it's and it, and it's um e emotional trauma, you know, For sure. um of just not really knowing how to process it. You know, you get numb to it to a certain extent. And then you do have days where you just go off and then you want to have these conversations like I'm having with you right now. And sometimes people just it goes in one ear out the other and they don't get it or they hear it but they don't do anything about it because they like, I really appreciate you doing this because 
I do believe that it is not, I believe, like I know that it is, is that this is not just a black person's problem. This is an American problem. This is our problem. And black people didn't create this system. For sure. White people did. <laughs> white people did. So yeah. it's up to white people to figure out what you're going to be, what you're going to do about it, you know? So you and I as friends definitely have these conversations off the air, but I appreciate you, especially with obviously with what you do, um, wanting to put this on air because I have a lot of white people that I know that sometimes we have these conversations and then they go tomorrow and it's the same shit every day. You know, what are you going to actually do to change this narrative? You know, if you are in a position of power, like again, when is the last time that you hired a black person Yeah, with the same skill sets? And I used to work in the legal field and in human resources. So I saw this all the time, you know, based off of like some of the things you mentioned earlier about looking at certain names and not bringing them in for those mm -hmm. reasons, you know, and that's like or, statistically proven. They've like done that. To exactly. Show. You yeah. know, and there, there are plenty of times I know my name doesn't sound black to people, which whatever that means, you know, but my name is Jessica Garland. Yeah. I got called in all the time, you know, but yeah. as soon as they saw me, I was like, Oh, 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 <laughs> Oh, <laughs> we didn't know that Jessica was a black right, name. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, like saw it all the time. With and that hair and with yes. that dangerous look of you. Yeah, it's exactly. Like it happened. It happened all yeah. the time. And then once you, if you are, if you do get the opportunity to get that position, then um, you're in my in my situation less likely to get promoted. Mm -hmm. Every job that I've had, um, I've gotten fired before more than one time. And it wasn't because, um, I know it wasn't because I wasn't a good employee. Like I showed up, showed up on time, was excellent at the work. Um, but again, it's that speaking up about things. Mm -hmm. And um, trying to ruffle those feathers oh, up. Oh, every time. And I, I can't be anywhere and not bring stuff up. That's just. Which you should. Which That's you the should. only way to you change know? things. You <laughs> know what I mean? That's the only way to change things. Mm -hmm. And. Um, you know, I, I would always say that it's because I didn't, it, I didn't fit the culture because it wasn't my life's purpose to be an attorney or to be in human resources. But those, but those are things that I was just trying to do. I always was still teaching guitar or being a musician or a performing artist. Mm -hmm. But so that's what I used to always say, but it's really deeper than that. It really is, um, a social construct, you know, where, um, you don't want to, promote me, you know, but I've seen you bring in another white person with um, probably less qualifications than I have or experience than I have to put them into that role or promote them or and it's because clear I'm, as day, clear as day or mm -hmm. being in human resources. I can see that you're paying that person more than you're paying me. Um, and then it's like, how do you bring that up? You know, and how do you, um, you know, how do you, um, like if you if you're working with a VP of HR or a VP of anything, like who is the person that you can report? Like who's your report to? You know, what do you do when the president or CEO is the person that is you know um, using all of these that that's, that's created all of these policies or enforcing all of these policies? Like what do you do in that situation? So there's been plenty of times where I've gotten you know fired, and there was a particular situation where a place where I worked where I spoke up. And again, it was a situation where um, being a black woman speaking up um, was something that they just didn't want to hear. And I didn't see what the difference was because anytime a white woman spoke up and was loud about it and emotional about it, they listened. But when I spoke up, it was, I'm aggressive. Mm -hmm. To the point where I got fired or and when they did the last or the exit interview, they kind of circled their way around the, the round table in case as if I was going to attack. Right. And the person that was saying these things about me, she was playing the role of the victim as if I was going to attack her. Uh -huh. So they listened to her concerns and her tears. And the thing about it was they African American. Exactly. You know, and I just I, I just was there was so much pain in that. And you have to just sit in there in it. And you know what the VP yeah. told me? He was like, if the president came in here right now and and was, um, you know, cursing me out or speaking down to me, do you think I'm going to say something back? I said, you should. Well, I'm not. And I'm like, well, what is that? You know, like, I don't, they did try to say that she was wrong for how she was speaking to me, but yeah. ultimately I was the one that got fired for speaking up. Yeah. I don't care what position, I don't care what your title is. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your race is. 
I don't care about any of that. <laughs> right. Because the way I was raised, you're not going to speak to me any kind of way. Like, That's I'm called boundaries. To, there's boundaries. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, no, Leo, setting this boundary right here, just letting you know this is not okay. Yeah. You know, and just the simple fact of setting up that boundary and seeing how she responded to that. I was ultimately the one that was let go because I was viewed as aggressive. And you know what? People that are in power, nobody, they don't like it when people challenge their power and exactly. put up boundaries. And every time mm -hmm. you go to challenge somebody mm -hmm. in power, mm -hmm. they're obviously going to fucking bitch. Right. Because you're wrecking their pool party. Exactly. <laughs> and then that's why, like, half of this is always, like, people are like, I don't want to talk about race. Well, you're white and you don't want to talk about race because it doesn't affect you. It doesn't affect you, and, you Like, know? on the daily. Mm -hmm. And then just the thing to say, like, um, for, like, white people, how this happens and how I know it does from mm -hmm. growing up. And you'll have a grandparent, you know, like mine, mm -hmm. who's been in World War II, super nice guy, 96, does things, has been nothing but nice to me mm -hmm. growing up has to, all these things, but growing up also as a child is what I hear is the N-word thrown mm -hmm. around, talked about people, and then things that they say and everybody else is laughing. And even as a kid and having joke books with stuff in it and mm -hmm. people like, and you're like, I don't, this is like, this doesn't seem right, mm -hmm. funny. But when you just, as a kid, like you're going along because like it's harder to speak up against any kind of power when you're like seven, eight, mm -hmm. nine, and 10. But then as you get bigger, like for white people, that'll say, well, like, oh, it's just grandpa. Like, but it's okay to also say to grandpa, hey, grandpa, mm -hmm. we don't talk like that. Right. Like, there's no reason to say that about that person at all. Mm -hmm. Like, if you want to talk about somebody's character in general, because somebody's a sleazebag and has nothing to do with their mm -hmm. race, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But to just say something about somebody or not like them or to just label them or generalize mm -hmm. them, you know, you can't do that. Yeah. And it, it does take standing up to the people that you see like white people and not letting somebody say a joke that's funny, but is at the expense of somebody else. It's not a joke and it's not funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like Joe Biden just did. Yeah. <laughs> and, I just had to say that. Yeah. You're not black if you're I just, like. I just had to say that, yeah. you know, like I get the, I get the joke that he was trying to say. And obviously he feels comfortable enough around black people to say that. But that's like the ultimate white mistake. You're not black. Yeah. I don't care if you and Barack Obama are best friends and that you understand certain policies that affect black and brown people. But, um, but no, you know, like that's, that's not funny. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just because like, you have one black friend. Just because you have one black friend or uh -huh. however many that you have. Yeah. If you got black family members, you know, like mm -hmm. that's not, that's just not okay because you literally have no idea what that, what that's like, you it's know, and it's, and it's not funny and not even to get extremely political, even though that this is a somewhat political conversation, you know, like that to me, that is an example of how, you know, people assume that certain parties represent certain people. Yeah. Um, and, um, you can't always assume that, and I, just to be very clear, not Republican by any means here, yeah. but you can't assume that the Democratic Party is something that's for you, right. or for black and brown people. It's just Or not just like that conservative guy that was on your side. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So you can't, mm -hmm. can't generalize anybody. You, you really yeah. cannot because there are, um, laws that are put in place by the Democratic Party that has a lot to do with black and brown people being in prisons, you know, and some of them are my family members, you know, to where, yeah, maybe they committed a crime, but definitely got a harsher sentence than the next person. Always, and it's person, proven you know? in the news. I mean, yeah. homeboy mm -hmm. who just like uh, from Connecticut, that white dude who just was like on a killing spree of two people. Mm -hmm. And then they got his like preppy picture mm -hmm. shown up. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They yeah, the media that. definitely... Um, participates in all of that stuff. I remember, I think it was a race and politics class I took at SMU. And um, regardless of what uh, we all probably believe about OJ Simpson, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean that the media didn't try to play on the dangerousness of his blackness. Yeah, yeah. Um, not to mention that he had a, uh, that Nicole uh, was white, you yeah. know what I mean? But, you know, they purposely made his picture, made him look darker in skin complexion to try to invoke that dangerous you know, uh, feeling, right. you know, so the media definitely plays a role in a lot of, um, a lot of ideologies about, um, about racism, you know? Um, and then we have like two more minutes. Wow. Wrapping up. It went so fast. So yes. fast. So fast. So fast. We could talk about this, you know, right. there could be, there, this could be several episodes. There's right? so many stories. Well, cause to there's really people tell. like you that are just living like Really, it's bullshit hassle every day. Every day. You know day. what I mean? Like, there's like little hassles I just have as a woman that's, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of like 
you know, that you just deal with mm -hmm. and like s snide comments, like some dude that we live at the pool comes over like, hey ladies, like you want to see me like naked? No, I fucking don't do. Right, yeah. Like do not come up to me like that. There's mm -hmm. like no reason why you should say that, but guys will just come up to you sideways. Like, mm -hmm. so I have that happen, but I don't have people like challenging myself. Right. Like you are, you cannot help that you're black. Just like I cannot help that I'm mm -hmm. white nor two you're born to, but for somebody to come down and just like put you down just because of something that you have no choice over. That is really just a level of melanin. It is. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, it's it really is, you know, you and know, there's it's, no it's, same brains. Everybody has the same potential to be intelligent. Like the, it's that. the human race. Yes. You know, like this is a social construct, you know, um, that is put in place specifically for, um, Black and brown people to not have certain opportunities, you know, it's that's that's what it is, you know, and it and it affects us on a on a daily basis. Yeah, and you know? you're just have to deal with like bullcrap. So yeah, mm -hmm. anything else you want to say on the way out? Um, not really. Not really. <laughs> not really. Other than figure out what you can do to help this situation, you know, as an artist, I definitely use that as a platform to speak out about issues like this. Um, like you mentioned earlier, I did a project last year called Their Lives Matter to discuss specifically the Dallas Police Department um, that have taken the lives of individuals here in Dallas. Um, so to you do something, you know, don't just like talk about it in private at home, you know, or just choose not to say anything or say that you care, but don't take an action. If you care and don't make an action, you're actually a part of the problem. Right. So figure out something to do. And again, I just thank you for using your platform to be able to have these, you know, conversations, um, so that hopefully people could think about it a little bit more and, uh, um, I, I think that it's, it's going to take a lot to change someone who is actually racist because we're talking about some deep seat, like rooted yeah. uh, issues, issues. <laughs> some serious issues there, mm -hmm. but the ones that, um, that are afraid to do something. And that's what it really is. It's, it's being afraid. A lot of times, especially in corporate America, people are afraid to do something because they're afraid they're going to lose their job right? because we live in a capitalist society. Or just like even the stuff of the other man that's watching the man who's like murdered the guy oh, yeah. on, you know, with his knee mm -hmm. and watching somebody murder this mm -hmm. man. And then he's just standing there and that's another police mm -hmm. officer like, you know, get yeah. your gun out and get that guy. Do something, <laughs> do something. But you know what? He could have been afraid of his losing his job yeah. or what's going to happen to him back at the station. Yeah. You know, or maybe that guy's to, got his knee on this guy. Maybe he's going to get me later. Exactly. Too. Oh, yeah. Because there's I mean, I, I know some police officers that um, they have violence issues in the police and within the uh -huh. police department, uh -huh, you sure. know, for sure. So, yeah. So, yeah, that would be the last thing I would to say is just figure out something to do to, to bring about change. I mean, that's a part of my life purpose um, is, to, is to bring about change and self-healing and love, you know, because it's, it's, it is about an insecurity, you know. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it really is. Figure out what is wrong with you. Uh -huh. <laughs> fix yourself. Fix yourself. Fix yourself. <laughs> Fix yourself. <laughs> Fix yourself and don't be racist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and call out those people that are. Because yes. it just, um, it takes everybody to take down abuses of power. And that's what racism is, is a huge abuse of power systemically. And you have to call it out at every turn. Otherwise, you get yo-yos running things. Yeah. All right. And you know that there's always another way. <laughs>